0: As we turn to our Gospel reading this morning, we're going to share in a story from John chapter 2, and if you have been paying attention, you should have gotten some hints as to what it is we are reading. We'll be reading John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, where Jesus cleanses the temple. The Passover of the Jews was near, and when Jesus went up to Jerusalem... In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you, get, can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction For forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, our attention turns to one of our favorite events of the year, the ACC Tournament. Oh, I know not all of y'all are basketball fans, but enough of you are, I can tell. When I moved to North Carolina 18 years ago, I did not know how important this tournament was. I've been here long enough now to long for the good old days of the smaller ACC. I had seen, though, the basketball games on ESPN. I knew about Championship Week, and before my loyalty loyalty to my Blue Devils was obligated by tuition payments, I was aware that there was a tournament. What I was not aware of is that school children had teachers who were all vying to have movie days and study hall on Friday so that they could be the one who rolled the cart into their classroom to catch a glimpse of those games that tipped off at noon in Greensboro. If you did not have that childhood experience, someone in the school system that you were in cheated you Because everybody I've ever talked to about North Carolina schools and ACC basketball has said that. We love college basketball around here. Consider one statistic. That since 1974, one out of every four national champions has come from the Triangle. I wish I could include the school over in Winston-Salem, but we're still hoping, right, Jim? (laughs) ACC basketball is one of our civil religions, and our temples are named Carmichael, Reynolds, Smith, the Joel, and Cameron. But you know, if you catch the paper or you watch the news, you know that around every corner in college basketball looms something we all want to deny. Who tripped who, right? Who took which classes and when? Who edited those papers? Who got paid how much? With each FBI leak and each agent whose name comes to the front page, it feels like someone is doing to us and our sport what it is Jesus did when he went through the temple in John 2. Someone wants to clean it up. And while we say, hey, this is good, we want the purity back in the sport that we love. I hope we're ready for it. And maybe we can handle this in the temple of sports. Maybe we handle it in the temple of sports so we can keep it out of the temple of our lives. But it does get harder when Jesus comes into our temple and starts overturning our tables. Now, John chapter 2 starts with a great story. It's the story of the wedding at Cana when Jesus turns water into wine. We recognize this as his first miracle. We joke about it, we appreciate it, and the importance of that story is that Jesus performs a redemptive act that benefits those who are with him. The steward is redeemed by the wine that Jesus provides. And down the road, Jesus will continue to provide redemptive acts that bring possibility for those who are deeply in need of redemption. Now in the second part of John 2, this work of an act that starts to provide redemption takes a darker turn. Because Jesus turns to the temple and those who are using the temple to enrich themselves. That's what's going on here, right? In his cleansing, he rebukes the opportunists who are looking to profit from the the genuinely faithful people in the name of God. Jesus sees how the faithful are being Subjected to a corrupt, abusive system. And Jesus enters in to provide redemption for those who need it. Just like he did for the steward. He offers rebuke and correction to those who are working the system in order to enrich themselves. This is what the cleansing of the temple is about. And it could be a warning to us. And maybe if it's not specifically a warning to us, we need to still ask ourselves, is this a warning for us? He enters the temple in John 2, and really, there's no reason to believe very many people knew what was really going on. The religious leaders had not seen the signs. They hadn't witnessed the baptism and all the things that had happened before. They didn't understand how Jesus was a fulfillment of prophecy. And so they easily looked past the wrongs they were committing. Knowing no other way to live out the religion other than the ways they had created for themselves, by themselves... They didn't discern how the temple was a mess. They didn't see how their faith was shallow and legalistic. And they were happy to overlook the ways that they were condescendingly interacting with the faithful. So Jesus, when he enters the temple and calls for changes, I don't expect the religious leaders to... See everything, understand everything, but then again we've all read the rest of the story. We've heard what happens when and where that sacred head is wounded and we realize they didn't understand any of it all along. So Jesus is forever seen as an enemy to them. He isn't calling them to repentance; He is attacking their way of life. The disciples see it, though. And there's a lesson for us. Disciples of Jesus see when a different expression of faith arrives. Disciples see how Jesus enters in, even enters into a life, and calls for changes. What God can do, what God does, is take over in real ways and transform and redeem us as long as we're not like the religious leaders who miss it. They miss that God is doing something different through the life and ministry of Jesus and they don't, because they don't see how God could do something any different than the way that they had decided it needed to be done. And therefore Jesus is an affront to those religious leaders because they became turned off to what God can do. And the, the point of this story, the risk of this story is that we are always at risk of falling into the same trap. There is, without a doubt in my mind, a, a, a risk for us missing what God is trying to do in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when Jesus comes in and cleanses the temple or cleanses the congregation or, or, or cleanses our individual lives... Oh, I don't think we're quite at risk of having our, uh, our, our money tables overturned. We've got apps for that. But I'm I'm certain that we are prone to believing that, that we are right and that our way is the way. And that's the very thing that got those religious leaders in trouble. They had their way they had their plans, their processes, their procedures, their policies. Those things that govern their, their existence and when Jesus overthrows the tables in the temple, he's not advocating anarchy, but upending the ways, the things that the religious leaders did. He's upending them because those were the ways that allowed those leaders to control everyone and everything for their own advantage. So they sell animals at a premium. They turn the temple into a marketplace for their benefit. And they run the religion of the day in such a way as to control everything and to remove the influence of the people from anything. And this is a temptation for us too. We have a tendency to want to control too much. We have a tendency to want to believe that our way is the right way not just a good way. We have a tendency, as both individuals and collectively, to only take on the things of life and faith that we know we can accomplish, and that then becomes our way of doing what it is that we do. It's been mentioned a couple times this year in different committee meetings I was in that churches like ours are really good at taking on things we know we can accomplish. Individuals like us are good at that too. But what this means is we only take on things that we know we can accomplish without God's help. We do things that we know we can accomplish well and can... And can And can reach without seeking God's help. I mean, we're good enough that we put Jesus' seal of approval on it when we're done, but but we look at the way God has blessed us and then we stamp that blessing with, with God's blessing. We look at how God's provided and we talk about how God's provided in response to our hard work. We look at what God's built. Or what we've built, and we say God built it. And we chip in with little or no uh, personal sacrifice sometimes. But in doing this, and, and in doing countless other little things, we do faith in a way that we can control the outcomes. And when we do that, it's important for us to recognize, to see that we're doing faith like those Pharisees and those temple leaders were doing it when we set up stuff in ways that only we know how to do it, when we arrange things so that we will have our needs met, and when we organize our religious structures and our personal structures so that anyone who wants to come in must conform to our way of doing it, regardless of their needs, we set up a faith just like those Pharisees did. We arrange things that, that keep us Distant actually from the power of God because by doing so, we don't let the power of Jesus get too close and drive us out of control. The powerful places that we set up, we, we consider them our fiefdoms, and as long as we keep Jesus out, we're not at risk of losing the control that we enjoy. But God does, wants to do something else, not make us unhappy, not careen us out of control, but meet us where we have real deep needs. And this is ultimately what we want, right? We want, we need God's help to meet the needs that we can't meet for ourselves, And we need to stop pretending that every need we have can be met on our own. What God does when God comes in is reveal to us the places where we need something more, something better. And while this wouldn't feel good, it's not going to feel good, when the agents come in and turn over the tables of our college basketball teams, There's another story from another part of our state that illustrates this well and shows us the hope on the other side. In the 80s and 90s, the lighthouse at Cape Hatteras became a controversial touchpoint. You may remember this. A marine engineer from, of all places, Duke, realized that the beach was receding and the lighthouse was in danger of falling into the ocean. And, and well, understanding barrier islands as he did, it was his recommendation to just let the lighthouse fall. The lighthouse had served its purpose. It had done its time. Now, for the locals of Buxton who owned places like the lighthouse gift shop and the lighthouse View Motel... Such a loss of a lighthouse was unacceptable. So a group emerged to save the lighthouse. They wanted to build a seawall to protect the lighthouse. Money was raised. Passion was incited. Everybody was excited about this possibility But with each new engineer and construction firm and especially politician that came through town to offer an idea about the lighthouse, the locals there felt like someone was coming in and turning over the tables on them. Someone with little connection to what was going on was coming in and telling them how to do their business, and so... Everyone, resistance was met on every single side. Now, as you know, the lighthouse is still standing. It's a very important symbol of our state. And the reason that the, the lighthouse is still standing is some op- optimistic, op- optimistic engineers partnered with some open-minded locals to realize that the purpose of the lighthouse was not to stand where it was, but, but to display to ships out, into the, out in the sea that this was a dangerous place. And they were open to the possibility of moving a 4,700-ton lighthouse. And as you know, in the summer of 1999, that's what happened. The lighthouse was moved some 1,600 feet to a position exactly the same distance off the beach as it was first placed so that its purpose could be met and lived out still. The lighthouse was moved because people in Buxton realized in part that by... Listening to the right people who overturned their tables, they could see the bright the, the purpose at the end. Yes, the experts came in and told us all something difficult. Yes, the engineers offered their reports. And yes, sometimes it feels like when the power of God comes in, our comfort is upended. But when that happens, it's not time to retreat or resist. It's time to pay attention and to discern how do we need to clean house so that we can more faithfully experience the presence and love of God, so that we can more faithfully express then the power and love of God to those who need it. Because it isn't that we didn't want a lighthouse. It's that we needed a lighthouse to do what a lighthouse does. And it isn't that we don't need certain things in the temple is that we need the things to do what it is they're supposed to do this is what happened in buxton when the right powers came in this is what happened when jesus disciples listened to his message and this is what will happen someday in college basketball when we finally address the shady underbelly of college sports But more importantly than those side stories, the important one is if we are open to allowing God to come into our lives and hearts, it may feel like Jesus is turning over some tables. But in the long run, it is the best thing that can happen for us. So this morning, Jesus is making his way through the temple, I hope, to remove some of the bad so that the good can flourish. And as you consider your life and faith, where and and when and what do you need to let God in to? How do you need to open up so what God can do is help you discern how to experience God's love more fully and more completely and more rightly? Are you willing to let Jesus come in and direct you and make changes? Jesus said that that temple would again be raised in three days and that that would define everything in the ways that that express what we really need. So are you ready to open yourself up today to the power of God that will open you up to what you really need? Because that's what God can do. That's what God does. God provides the power and love we need even when it's hard. God provides the power and love we need, especially when it's hard. I pray that that's what we will be open to today. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the opportunity to be gathered, to hear beautiful music, to sing special songs that touch our hearts. We're thankful for a place to come and just sit and listen because so many other places where we go we have to talk and work and act. And Lord, we're thankful that we can come here and meet you. And Lord, though it is sometimes difficult to let you in and occasionally the tables that we have set up in our lives to help us through Get turned on their side. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to let you in. Help us to let you enter in and rearrange the tables of our lives so that we might experience your love more fully, that we might achieve what it is you can do through us, and we might love ourselves and love one another better and more fully so that we can express the power and grace of your love in significant ways on earth as it will be in heaven. Lord, we love you. Thank you for hearing these prayers. Speak to us as we pray, as we sing, and as we depart from this place in the moments ahead. It is in your name that we ask all of these things. Amen.